what an honor it is to get to preach on Easter Sunday. I've preached on Easter Sunday probably five times in my life, preached on Easter Sunday the last three years, and there's just something different about preaching on Easter Sunday. I had a pastor that was retired tell me the first year he didn't preach on Easter Sunday how much he missed it, and he texted me the second time I preached on Easter Sunday, and he said, don't take this moment for granted. So I don't want to take this moment for granted today. It's an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an opportunity to give you truth that can change your life. It's an opportunity to do God's will and to do his work. And I was doing fine this morning until Bishop Bell Bronner texted me. I was prim and proper and ready to release the word. And he said, preach like Jesus is on the front row and your best friend that's lost on the back row. So that got me a little fired up, amen? But I want today to be a celebration. I've spent the last three Easter's describing how Jesus died and relating it to Passover and doing all of those things. But today I want to celebrate Jesus Christ. I want to celebrate what he's done for us because I think too often we get stuck in our ritualistic routines and we forget, even on days like today, to be thankful for what Jesus has done for us. I want you to know this old boy's thankful. I'm thankful for his grace. I'm thankful for his mercy. I'm thankful for his love. I'm thankful he's the God of the second, third, and fourth chance. I'm thankful for who he is, who he was, and who he always will be. He is my Savior, my lover, my Redeemer, my friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the embodiment of Abba Father. He gives us a future and a hope. He loves us like nobody can love us. And he's worthy to be praised. On your worst day, he was at his best. When you ruined it and everybody else gave up on you, Jesus was still on the throne. He was still praying for you, and he is praying for you this morning. So on Good Friday services across the nation, people, they quote the seven sayings that were said on the cross by our Savior. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He says to the sinner next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. He looks down at John, his friend who he loves, and he says, behold your son, behold your mother, basically saying, take care of my mama. Take care of my mama. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And for years I identified with that phrase and I thought, man, Jesus is questioning God. Like he, I question God sometimes, so he's questioning God. He's in agony. But then I got to doing some research. He's really quoting Psalms. Jesus was singing. They were crucifying him. He was singing. That's the kind of God we serve. Then he said, before he would take the third cup of Passover, I thirst. I thirst. But finally, he said, it is finished, and unto you I commit my spirit. So I want to focus on that phrase this morning as I describe to you what the finished product looks like. 
See, I've heard in life that we're never truly finished. I had a man tell me one time who's in his 80s, he said, you never get done raising your kids. You're never finished. Whenever you do a project on your home, another project comes up. You never feel like you get finished. But I'm telling you, when Jesus said to Telestah, it is finished, it was finished. It says in our text, John chapter 19, verse 29, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, and they put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said to Telestah, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. In the King James, it said he gave up his ghost. But I want to define the word finish there. It's a present tense verb. This is the ongoing result of a completed action. Today, we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ got up out of the grave on the third day. So you might say, when he said it was finished, was it really finished? You better believe it was. Because in the Greek, that word means an ongoing action. So when he declared it, when the words came from his mouth, it was finished. God never does anything without first releasing a word, without speaking things into the atmosphere. That's why the Bible says that power of life and death is in the tongue. It matters what you say. It matters what you speak. And when Jesus said to Telestah, it is finished, he meant it was finished. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, it says in chapter 28, after the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Women got more faith than men. Somebody say amen. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples. When I was in Israel just a few years ago, I was with my friend Josh Turner who was on the Today Show yesterday and on Huckabee last night and so proud of his Christian album and how God's blessing it. But Josh was telling me about a book called The Case for Christ written by Lee Strobel when we were in Israel. I hadn't read the book yet. But it was about a Yale law professor whose wife got saved and just went after Jesus with everything she had. And Lee Strobel thought she had joined a cult. And so he set out on a mission to prove that this Jesus was not God, that he hadn't been raised from the dead. And so he made it his mission to take scientific and historical evidence to prove that this Jesus, this resurrection, did not happen. Well, as he started investigating, God got a hold of him. And he said on television last night, and if you read the book, Case for Christ, 
the four things that puzzled him that he couldn't get past were as follows. The first was the execution of Jesus. Even the American Medical Association and all of those who've studied his death and how painful it was, all of them concluded that he was indeed dead. Before they ever pierced his side, he was dead. So we know that he was dead medically, historically. Said he couldn't get past that. The next thing was the historical eyewitness accounts of the people that saw him raised from the dead. This wasn't a phantom. This wasn't a ghost. This wasn't a hallucination. 500 eyewitnesses saw him. Mary Magdalene saw him. His mother saw him. Thomas doubted, but then put his fingers in his nail-pierced hands and in his side. And he went from doubting Thomas to believing Thomas. They saw him on Emmaus Road. When they were hurling, they were arguing, they were upset. And there he came in the midst of them, fully alive, this Jesus. They saw him. His brother James saw him. At the Mount of Olives, they saw him. And he commissioned him and he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said, I'll leave you another comforter. People saw him. 500 eyewitnesses saw him. They found written evidence going back to months after he ascended to heaven. Couldn't get past the historical evidence, more historical evidence that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead than that George Washington was our president. He's alive. Not only couldn't he get past the historical evidence, the written evidence, he couldn't get past the empty tomb. I've been to the church of the Holy Sepulchre and I've been to the garden tomb and they're both empty. If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, then religion is a waste of time. Then we are nothing more than animals. We have no hope. We have no purpose. We have no second chance. We have no shot at redemption. There is no such thing as love that never fails. There is no such thing as grace that abounds. There is no such thing as being filled with the Holy Spirit of God and conquering your fears. Jesus Christ never got out of the grave. I believe with all of my heart what Romans said, that the same Spirit that raised Him from the dead will come and quicken our mortal bodies so that we might live free and fully alive and walk in our purpose. You can't explain salvation to the natural man. The Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. You can't explain to me how a drug addict goes from being a drug addict to being saved and worshiping God. You can't tell me how someone born in poverty in a third world country ends up becoming president. Oh, it happens because they found their hero within. That same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead comes inside and propels people into their future. You can't explain the spirit of God, but you can receive it and embrace it and flow in it. Oh, to tell a star comes from one Greek word. It's about momentum. It was used during biblical times in a number of different ways. The first, a servant would use it when reporting to his master, I've completed the work assigned to me. 
to telestah. I finished the work. To telestah. It was also used when the high priest would examine the sacrifices and would find it faultless, blemish-free. To telestah. Ah, oh, but my favorite. It was used by merchants in the banking industry, and it meant the debt is paid in full. The debt is paid in full. I'm telling you, you may have sinned. You may have messed your life up. You may be in the gutter of life right now, but I'm telling you, Jesus Christ paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. His blood washed it white as snow. To tell us stop. You see, these words, they're not the end of Jesus' life, but the completion of his task. The completion of that which the Father called him to. The verb tense is perfect. This means his hour had come. He had completed the work. And the consequences of this completion are enduring. Things will continue to happen. Stones rolled away. Life's changed. Prodigals coming home. It's a continual work. In the kingdom of God, your work never ends in death. Isn't that good news? In the kingdom of God, your work never ends in death. Success always means succession. Completion is always continuation. Pain equals purpose. And death equals destiny. The Bible says that life is but a vapor. This is not our home. We are ambassadors of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is not our homeland. So when folks die... We ought not mourn like the world, like those who have no hope. I've lost all my grandparents, and some deaths are harder than others. Losing your children, friends, we shouldn't like death, but we don't mourn as those who have no hope. I know one day when Jesus comes for me, I'm going to see Gladys. I'm going to see Rupert. I'm going to see Grandy. I'm going to see Papa. I'm going to see Derek. I'm going to see friends. I'm going to see family members. I have that faith because Jesus got up out of the grave. And faith propels you into your future. Death is not the end. So I celebrate the fact that when Jesus said to Telestah, I want to celebrate the facts of the resurrection first. When he said that, when he got up out of the grave, dominion was restored. What does dominion mean? It's dominance, sovereignty, rule, and authority. You see, way back in Genesis in the Garden of Eden, when Adam sinned, when he fell into sin, Satan became the prince of this heir. He gave Satan dominion over his life and over this heir. But the Bible says that Jesus came and he bore the cross. He made himself of no reputation. He came in the flesh and he came and he bore that cross. He bore that curse on his back so that we could live free and fully alive. So dominion was restored. So when Jesus took the third cup of Passover and he said to Telestah, what that meant was we don't have to walk around defeated anymore. We don't have to walk around condemned anymore. We don't have to walk around guilty anymore. It means that God gave us dominion. He took the authority that had been given to Satan back and he's given us the authority 
And we can walk in abundance. We can walk in freedom. We can walk in authority. So don't go into the interview like you've already lost the job. Don't go into your workplace like you're the least of these. That's false humility. You go in there like the child of God you are with dominion in your hands and dominion in your mind and you take authority over the enemy and you be the person God has called you to be. Don't let anybody tell you who you are and who you can't be and what you can't do. God already said you're more than a conqueror than Christ Jesus. God already said that he makes all things new. God already said that you are joint heirs with him. You are sons and daughters. You have an inheritance, amen? And even when you squander it, he restores it like the story of the prodigal son. That's who God is. Dominion was restored. But Paul would say, sin shall not have dominion over you any longer. It shall no longer be your master. So sin separates us from God. We all sin. Me, you, everybody. But Paul says, because of what Jesus has done for you, you can't let it rule you anymore. You have to take authority over your struggles. You have to defeat your struggles. You have to walk in power. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, the first man, Adam, became a living being, but the second Adam, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. When Jesus got up out of the grave, dominion was restored, but number two, a door was opened. Somebody say a door was opened. Because of Christ's death, we have access to God. He is the God of the open door, it says in Revelation. If you seek it, you will find it. It's not hard to find. If you knock, it will be opened unto you. God wants to bless you. In the old covenant, no one was allowed access to the Holy of Holies in the temple, but the high priest on the Day of Atonement. The Bible says that we are to observe the Holy of Holies in that covenant and that once a year the priest would take a ceremonial bath and he would go through all of these sanctification rituals and he would grab that bullock and he would make atonement for himself and the other priest first and then he would sprinkle some blood on the mercy seat. No person could approach it except through the mediation of the high priest. But the Bible says that he is the mediator of a new covenant that doesn't come from bullocks and goats and turtle doves. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the new covenant. After sacrificing the bullock, the high priest would choose a goat. He would sacrifice this goat. He'd sprinkle the blood, as I said, on the mercy seat. And finally, the scapegoat bearing the sins of the people was sent out into the wilderness. This symbolized what Jesus Christ would do for us and that what's the sacrifice and the bloodshed, the atoning blood of Christ, continues to do for all of us this day. So when Jesus died and he said to Telestah, the Bible says that that veil, that 60-foot veil, four inches thick, was torn in two to speak to every religious person, every judgmental person. I don't have to go through your priest, and I don't have to go through your pope, and you're no longer my high priest because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. I can get in the Holy Ghost all by myself, whether I'm Jewish, Gentile, rich, poor, black, white, 
No matter where I'm born, no matter how much money I have, I have access because the door was open. Oh, I celebrate the fact that the door was open. He's still opening doors this morning. He's still opening doors for his children. You have access to God. You don't need me. I love to pray for you. I'll lay hands on you. I'll cry with you. But friend, you don't even need me. There's no respecter of persons. You need to call on the name that's above every name. God will meet you right where he is. He'll meet you like he has me time and time again. God will touch you. Not only was a door open, destiny was revealed. That process that occurred on the Day of Atonement, acceptance, affirmation, everything that the high priest had to do through the sacrifices, that whole process is what Jesus Christ has done for us. First of all, he's accepted us. He loves you. He loves you more than anybody else will love you. You've been accepted by him. He affirms you, the Bible says in Ephesians, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one. Everybody say one. And has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Jew and Gentile, the middle wall has been torn down so we can all commune with God together. We're to be one. That's why he loves unity, because Jesus paid the price for unity. He blesses it when we're together. He blesses unity. He blesses agreement. God revealed his destiny to us on the cross and through us with the empty tomb. He loves us. Destiny was revealed not only affirmation, but access and assurance. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you. So that means you know what deals to make. You know where to go. You'll hear that still small voice when you're about to make a mistake. The spirit of God is real. And let me tell you this, friend, he still speaks. He still speaks. His blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He still speaks not only through his blood, his sacrifice, but through the Holy Spirit of the living God. Let me tell you, if you believe in a virgin birth, you believe in an empty tomb, and you believe in an ascension to heaven, and you believe in a return of a deity named Jesus, you're already nuts. You might as well receive the Spirit of the living God, the hero within, to do things inside of you and to speak through you. You can't come into the Spirit of God acting like you've all ways got it together. I'm here to tell you I don't always have it together. When I do have it together, it's because the Spirit is leading me, not my flesh. Paul would say we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. He said our struggle is that we want to do the right things, but we end up doing the wrong things. Paul would say that about himself. But he would also say, I deny myself pick up my cross, and I follow him. Destiny was revealed. Hebrews 10 verse 14 says, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The use of the word perfected has to do with the complete cleansing of regeneration. It reveals the nature of salvation. I'm not as bad as I used to be, but I'm not as good as I'm going to be. I may not be where I'm supposed to be, but I'm not where I used to be. 
Touch your neighbor and say, I'm in process. In process. I've got some good news for some of you and some bad news for others. You're not perfect. You never will be. But through the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, you can be in process. And you can be made perfect through His Spirit. That's what regeneration is. But next, when He said it is finished, and when the stone was rolled away, doubt was rebuked. Doubt was rebuked. It said in John 20, verse 24, Now Thomas also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. How many times in church we've got people testifying, you should have seen what God did. You should have seen that person that was healed. You should have seen that person get saved. You should have seen this. And then there's always this one. Doubting church members. Trying to find fault in everything God's doing. Wasn't even there and giving a report on it. Don't be that person. Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I shall not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Through the door, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Interesting, he came through the door as spirit but stood there as a man. Same thing he did when he came into this world. Fully God and fully man. He comes through the door, spirit stands fully alive as man and speaks. And he says, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. But this, this is interesting. Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Some of you weren't there the day the stone was rolled away. Some of you weren't there like the 500 eyewitnesses that saw him ascend. Some of you weren't there to see the disciples get martyred and get their heads cut off and get crucified upside down. You really think these men would have done that, given their lives, went through torture, if what they were doing and believing and following was a lie? And not only them, for 2,000 years we've seen Christians burned at the stake. In Sri Lanka, just last night, there were hundreds of churches burned for what they believed. Still in this day, this faith that we have in a carpenter that became a king, a son that became the prince of peace, this faith that we have in this Jesus is still causing riots around the world today. If this wasn't real, why the riots? Why the hatred? Ah, because there's a war going on. And one day, that same phrase, it is finished, that's true of the war as well. Because the first time he came in riding a donkey as a man of peace, but the next time he comes on a horse, and the next time he comes as righteous judge, and the next time he's not playing, and every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he's Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into his kingdom of light. 
Paul would say in Colossians. And I close right here. We celebrate not only that our dominion was restored, that a door was opened, that destiny was revealed, that doubt was rebuked. Oh, but I'm most thankful that a debt was paid. It wasn't partially paid. It was paid in full. It was paid in full. The Bible says, In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins. Though it is by grace we have been saved. It also says in Galatians 4, verse 4, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. In Jewish culture, when a child was adopted, it was final. They lost all rights to their previous family. But in the Roman culture, it was different. The process was different. It was called the Patria Protestas. And I love this because what would happen was the father would take the child into the courtroom in front of the judge and, and they would go through this ritual. And first, the father, the family that wanted to adopt the child, they would, they would buy the child. They would pay the ransom for the child. And then after they'd pay it, the child would be given back to his original family. Then a second time, they would go through the same ritual. Then the third time, though, when the new family paid the ransom, the adoption was final. The adoption was finished. And I can't help but think about the Bible when I hear this. I can't help but think about redemption, which is a mathematical term that has to do with our sins, our debts being paid in full. I look back at the Garden of Gethsemane and I see what Adam did when he lost it, which led in his own son being murdered, carrying his son in his arms. And, and I see that that was the first opportunity and it was squandered. Ah, oh, but then I, I, I look and I, I see Jesus on this cross saying, it is finished. The third cup of Passover, the first one, was implemented in the, the giving of the Lord's Supper. The second one in Gethsemane when blood dripped from his brow. And the third one when they touched the wine on his lips. The fourth one, he said, I'll not drink it till I can drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So the fourth one was about God's glory. But I think about this adoption process and I think, my God, it was lost in the garden but it was gained back on Golgotha on a hill far away on an old rugged cross. But just like to tell us, it being a continual promise, when he said it's finished, it won't fully be finished until Jesus comes back. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, says the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first. And when that happens, friend, our adoption will be final. Our debt, our payment will be final because of God's grace and because of his mercy. I don't know about you, but my debt's been paid in full. I read a story recently that moved my heart, and I close with this story. It's about Army Staff Sergeant Travis Atkins. Atkins was born on December the 9th, 1975, and he grew up in Bozeman, Montana. He was a man's man. He loved to hunt. He loved to fish. He loved camping. He loved hunting. He loved snowmobiling. 
But his lifelong dream was to serve our country. He was deployed to Kuwait with the 101st Airborne Division in March of 2003 and was an infantry team leader during the first invasion of Iraq a month later. He served for a year, but his father, Jack Atkins, would later say that he really didn't get the assignment that he wanted, so he came home. You see, he wanted to be on the front lines serving his country. He wanted to be on the front lines. So he chose to get out of the Army at the end of that year. He decided to go to college, and he began working as a contractor for a while, but after two years, he still felt a call to serve our great nation. The civilian life just didn't do it for him, his father would say. He rejoined the Army in December of 2005 as part of the 10th Mountain Division. He deployed to Iraq again less than a year later. By May of 2007, he was promoted to Staff Sergeant while still overseas. Just a few short weeks after that, he was in southwest Baghdad at a city called Abu Samak. He was observing the roads leading in and out of the base when he noticed two men entering that were acting very funny. He was bothered by the way they were acting, so he pulled his Humvee over and he started to address the men. The men started acting hysterically and Atkins grabbed the one man and he realized when he grabbed him that he had a suicide bomb. he had come there to kill hundreds of men. When he saw that, he grabbed him and bear-hugged him from the back, took him to the ground, and shielded him. And when he shielded him, the bomb went off, but it only killed him and Atkins. He saved the life of two of his best friends and countless other men. Gave them time to take care of those two men. March 27th, just about a month ago, he was given the prestigious Medal of Honor. And his youngest son, Trevor, received the Medal of Honor on behalf of his dad. And he said, my dad was the greatest father anyone could ever ask for. He was the greatest soldier anyone could ever wish for. He's my hero. He's my icon. He's to be honored. But I tell you this, I thought of the Gospel of John where Jesus would say, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. He said we're to love one another said we're to remain in that love, but greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. I'm telling you, when I think of the cross and the empty tomb, I'm thankful that he took my sins to the cross. He gave his life so that I might live and not die, that I might have life and have it to the abundance. So I don't want to leave without giving you an opportunity to accept this free gift of love. There are heroes all over the place. The greatest hero is Jesus Christ. We're most like Jesus when we sacrifice, when we give our lives for something greater. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning?
with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you say, Pastor Ronnie, I don't know if I died today, if I'd go to heaven or hell. I don't know that I'm at peace with God. I don't know that I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. That's you, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says all you have to do to receive this free gift of love is accept this sacrifice. Confess Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. So I just want to lead you in a prayer. If you pray this prayer and you mean it with your heart, God will forgive you and he'll save you. He'll fill you with the Spirit. He'll give you a new start. So I just want you to pray this prayer with me. Pray it with me at his house. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible says your sins are forgiven you. Give God a shout for the forgiveness of sins. The Bible also says if you'll not confess me in front of men, I'll not confess you in front of my Father. So I don't want to leave here today. It's 11.58. Still got time for all the festivities. But if you don't know for sure that you're saved, and you prayed that prayer you wanted to, you don't slip out of here. We won't keep you long without coming to one of these pastors telling them, I prayed to receive Christ. I need to be baptized. I want to join this church. I want to connect. Stand on your feet all over this building. Heavenly Father, we lifted you up. Lord, you said, when we lift you up, you draw men and women unto you. So, Lord, we've been faithful. Lord, I pray that people wouldn't leave without knowing for sure that they're saved, knowing for sure they're forgiven, knowing the power of your grace. Lord, I pray that as we worship, they would know that it is finished. New doors are open. Destiny is revealed. Come.